week three of our uh, four-week sermon series called Top of the Charts, Exploring the Messages in Our Music. In the first two weeks of this series, we talked about the Irish band U2, and we talked about a uh, Christian artist named Stephanie Gretzinger. Today, we're actually talking about um, a, a true legend in American music. Now, I did not really know much about Johnny Cash until I saw the 2005 movie, Walk the Line. Surely some of y'all saw Walk the Line as well. Okay. And I know we've got plenty of Johnny Cash fans here. My wife, uh, Whitney, and I saw this movie in the theater, and I was, I was struck by his story of redemption and by the, the Christian theology that is so apparent in his life. If you don't know his story, Johnny Cash was born in 1932 uh, during the Great Depression uh, to a poor family of cotton farmers that would ultimately have seven children. The Cashes were a church-going family, and as a boy, Johnny knew every song in his mother's hymnal because music came easy to him, and gospel music would actually remain uh, an important part of who he was for his entire life. But his childhood years were traumatic. He was very close to his older brother, who was fatally injured in an accident when Johnny was 12 years old. It was a, a loss that would haunt Cash for the rest of his life. His father was an emotionally abusive alcoholic, and these, these two traumas, losing a beloved brother and living with uh, an alcoholic abusive father, uh, no doubt contributed to the melancholy that would plague him his entire life. After serving four years in the Air Force, Cash got married for the first time, and he took his young family to Memphis, and he found himself in the right place at the right time with the right sound, launching a career that would span almost 50 years. He became one of the most prolific and influential recording artists of all time. He made almost 100 albums in his lifetime. He released 156 singles. He performed at one time or another with many of the biggest artists of his lifetime. He had a TV show that some of y'all may have watched. He was in the movies. Uh, he toured all the way until an illness in his final years prevented it. And along the way, he developed uh, a well-deserved reputation as an outlaw. Like his father before him, Johnny Cash became an alcoholic. He developed a drug addiction. He was arrested seven times in that early part of his life. And because of his drug and alcohol addiction and his persistent and unrepentant uh, infidelity, his first wife divorced him in 19. 66. The bottom line uh, is that there is plenty not to like about Cash's behavior for that first half of his life. And Cash himself never tried to, to gloss over his shortcomings. He never hid from the fact that by the time he was in his mid-30s, he was, he was on a path that just had to change. To me, the most compelling part of his story is his ultimate redemption from the train wreck that was his early life, because with God, all things are possible, as well as his, his honesty and his humility about his many sins. Ultimately, uh, his faith would save him, along with the love of the woman with whom he would spend the rest of his life. And we'll, we'll get to their story shortly. Uh, but for now, we need to turn to our text for today. This is uh, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 31 to 37 right now, and then we'll come back and finish the chapter a little later. Listen, friends, for the word of God, as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the Apostle Paul. 
What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My old boss and mentor, Reverend Jack Soper, uh, used to say that if he could only have one book of the Bible, it would have to be Paul's letter to the Romans, and that if he could only have one chapter of that one book of the Bible, it would have to be the rightly famous eighth chapter of Romans. And what you need to know about Jack is that uh, he truly is a biblical scholar, and so uh, his love for Romans 8 is high praise indeed. And there's a ton of theology in that eighth chapter. We could do a a whole sermon series on the first half of Romans, but for today, we're focused on the concluding verses. And that that chapter concludes with what I think is actually one of the most comforting passages of Scripture. Paul is asking a series of rhetorical questions, and he starts with this one, if God is for us, who is against us? Now, the implied answer is it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter who's against us if God is for us because having God on our side is what gets us through the toughest moments of our lives, whether those toughest moments be self-inflicted or otherwise. And Paul says uh, that the only one who has the power to condemn us, the power even to accuse us, is God. That's what he means when he says, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies And justification, there's a technical term. He's talking about acquittal, forgiveness, being put in a right relationship with God, which is what God does for us. Instead of being interested in accusing or condemning, God is interested in forgiveness and mercy and love. And what we believe is that our faith in Christ gives us access to that forgiveness and mercy and love. And Paul tells us that nothing, nothing at all, Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is at the heart of the good news. Johnny Cash hit bottom in 1966 after his first wife left him. And by that time, uh, he and June Carter had known each other and worked together for over a decade. June was part of a musical family, pretty famous in country music. Uh, They were friends. And they had long been drawn to each other. And uh, the song, Ring of Fire, which is one of his most famous songs, was actually written by June (laughs) during this painful period of their lives. Johnny, at this point, was in the depths of his addiction. And because they were both married, they were obviously unable to be together. After their respective marriages ended, June confronted Johnny about his addiction. She told him that he had to start loving himself. There are two great commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor 
as yourself, right? Loving ourselves is an important thing. She said, if, if he loved himself, he would have to get clean and sober. That would be a sign of showing his love for himself and that he would have to get clean and sober before she would even consider becoming romantically involved. So to help him get clean for the first time, uh, June and her parents actually moved in with him, uh, nursing him back to health. And if you've seen the movie Walk the Line, I'm sure you remember what's my favorite scene. Uh, it's after Johnny has detoxed, after June and her family have moved in to help him detox. He's gotten all the drugs out of his system, and Johnny Cash wakes up clear-eyed for the first time in years, and he sees June sitting beside his bed. It's good to see you again, she tells him. And then this man who had who had battled demons of one kind or another for his entire life, in a moment of clarity that is absolutely essential for an addict or an alcoholic to get sober, clean and sober, says, uh, I've done so many bad things. <laughs> You've done a few, that's true, she says. I'm nothing, he tells her. But she corrects him immediately, you're not nothing. You're a good man, and God's given you a second chance to make things right, John. And then the very next scene shows them walking into church, <laughs> which remained a significant part of their lives from that moment on. After he married June, who by all accounts was the soulmate who, who literally saved his life, Johnny Cash desperately wanted to turn his life around, and by and large, he did. He didn't do it perfectly now. Uh, he would go in and out of rehab for 25 years in his struggle to stay clean and sober. If you have ever battled an addiction of your own or loved somebody who has, you are surely sympathetic to this part of Cash's story. But from that point on, his life was just on a different trajectory than it had been before. And it was near the end of his life that Cash covered a song called Hurt. Uh, which was originally form, uh, performed by the band Nine Inch Nails. Trent Reznor wrote it. If you've never seen the music video, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, it would be worth your while. I highly recommend it. Please look for the Johnny Cash version <laughs> and not the Nine Inch Nails version if you're going to go home and watch it. And the video uh, won a Grammy, in fact. It's really powerful. It was filmed just a few months before his death. Uh, and it shows an aging and clearly frail Cash and it's cut in with footage from his early years. The video intersperses clips of the defiant young outlaw Johnny Cash, the man he used to be, uh, with images of the older, wiser, humbled, repentant Johnny Cash, the man he became. And what makes this video so powerful and so different than the Nine Inch Nails version is that mixed in with these different versions of the same man, we see images of the one who had made that change possible. Images of, of Jesus. And specifically, we see Christ on the cross. And in a, a fascinating and revealing example of artistic license, Johnny changes one crucial word from the original lyrics of the song. The original version of the song says, I wear this crown of blank, and there's an expletive there that I'm obviously not going to say in church. And instead, Cash sings, I wear this crown of thorns. And there's an image of Christ. It's an obvious reference to the cross. 
because the cross is about redemption (laughs) the cross is about grace and salvation and fullness of life and triumph over sin and in Johnny Cash's life as in all of our lives that grace made all the difference as the Apostle Paul reminds us we are never separated from that offer of God's grace no matter where we've been or what we've done that offer is all is always on the table and our job is to accept it our job is to say yes to it our job is to allow our lives to be transformed by that grace that truly magnificent eighth chapter ends with these two verses he says no in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved him and then he says for i am convinced And may we all be convinced, (laughs) may we all be convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing at all will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what we believe. That's what our faith teaches us. That is what grace is all about nothing can separate us from the love of god not the trauma that we experience not the hardships that we endure not the sins that we commit or the mistakes that we make along the way because if god is for us who is against us (laughs) and our faith promises promises us of course that god is with us that's what christ's incarnation and ministry and death and resurrection are all about god's grace not only gives us confidence about what comes after this life which is important and glorious and vital and essential that's true it also empowers us to live differently here today and i just don't think we can say that enough i think we need to be constantly reminded of the power of god's grace to change us and what i love about johnny cash's story is that that is on full display in his life Although he would struggle to stay clean and sober, as many addicts do, Johnny Cash continued to fight the good fight against his addiction, with the result that the second half of his life was was completely different than the first half of his life. He became a better husband and a better father. He became a better man. He had uh, more peace. And he was, by all accounts, a pretty happy guy. He was inclined to side with the underdogs in life, and that surely was based on his own experience. I love that about his story. He, he worked for prison reform, which we don't talk enough about. He was friends with Billy Graham, and he co-wrote and narrated a film about the life of Jesus called The Gospel Road. What I love about the story of Johnny Cash is that he lived the possibilities of redemption that our Christian faith teaches us. And as I was thinking about what song we would do this morning, uh, which ones had some theology in them, I kind of ruled out a boy named Sue. (laughs) That's a great song, probably not great for this one. Uh, Walk the Line would have been fine. Um, Ring of Fire, that was written by June. Cry, 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 Folsom Prison. I mean, listen, I could go on and on with his catalog. I actually thought about having Hurt for our song this morning, uh, but that is really a heavy, heavy song. And so I decided to go with one of Uh, one of my favorites. Um, It's one that captures the confidence that we can have as followers of Christ that when all is said and done, 
Uh, our faith in him promises that everything's going to be all right in the end, even when you have some hiccups along the way. And you may not have heard this song before. It's called Far Side Banks of Jordan. McKenna and Brian are going to sing it for us here in a, in a minute. And it's a duet that Johnny and June recorded in the mid-70s. And the story goes that uh, although they did not write this song, when they came across it and they read the lyrics, they were overcome with emotion. They wept when they read these lyrics for the first time. And so they approached the songwriter about letting them record it, which of course he was thrilled to do because he made a fair amount of money off of this song with Johnny and June Cash recording it. And if you've not heard it, it's, uh, it's about a couple who vows that when the first one of them dies and goes to heaven, that first one will wait on the far side banks of the River Jordan for the other one to come home. It's really a sweet song. After all that Johnny and June had been through as a couple, it was the, the perfect sentiment that their love story would continue into eternity. And for the rest of their lives, it became a kind of, a kind of theme song for them. Well, the first time I heard it was uh, when Whitney and I went to see a musical called Ring of Fire, the music of Johnny Cash. It was the Dallas Summer Musicals uh, back in the spring of 2008. I know some of y'all have seen it. Um, so it was May of 2008. Whitney and I had seen the, the movie a few years earlier, so we were familiar with their story. I really had become um, captivated by his story of redemption and by their love story. And when I heard this th song in the musical for the first time, I got emotional, which I am known to do from time to time. I make no apologies about that. And I, so we're, they're singing the song on stage, uh, it's a duet, and I looked over at Whitney, I was emotional, kind of teary-eyed, I looked over and she was uh, kind of emotional, kind of teary-eyed as well, and so I leaned over to her and I said something about how, you know, that's the way I feel about you, it was a very sweet moment, very tender moment. But she got this weird look on her face. <laughs> And she didn't say anything, and there was this awkward moment. And then it dawned on me, she wasn't thinking about me. She was thinking about another guy, our son, Max, who was a year and a half old at the time. <laughs> Sam was not yet born. I said, you're thinking about Max, aren't you? And she said, yes, sure enough, because as she likes to remind me, I am much older than she is, and so I'll be waiting for her on the far side banks of Jordan someday, and then we can wait for the boys together. <laughs> I have a deal with my children that I pay them for every sermon illustration I use that they're in. She said I owe her a dollar, so I'll, I'll, I'll get you after the service. <laughs> but the postscript to the story of the song it's actually about one of June's lines. So they sing it as a duet, and one of June's lines is this. But if it proves to be his will that I am first to cross, and somehow I have a feeling it will be, when it comes your time to travel likewise, don't feel lost, for I will be the first one that you'll see. Which is really sweet and really moving. And sure enough, more than a quarter of a century after they recorded this song, June did indeed cross first, preceding Johnny in death by just four months. And at her funeral, as Johnny listened in his wheelchair, because he was real frail by that point, their friend, the country singer Larry Gatlin, spontaneously sang an a cappella version of their theme song. <laughs> Friends, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, 
no matter what you've done or left undone, no matter what you're going through or working through or walking through, the gospel of our Lord and Savior is very clear. Our faith in him promises that nothing at all can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. We can rest assured in that great gospel truth, both in this life and on the far side banks of Jordan. Thanks be to God.